From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and ESPN's Pardon the Interruption will celebrate an anniversary this coming October that will make it of legal voting age in this November's elections. And uh, (laughs) I think you know who the guest is now. Perhaps even crazier is that today's guest seems like family to me, uh, despite the fact that this is the first time we've ever spoken in real time, although I did have a decade-plus run where I never missed an episode of PTI or Around the Horn. So it's truly my great pleasure to welcome today's guest, Tony Reale. Tony, welcome to the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings. <laughs> Thank you. You never miss a show. That's better than I have. I mean, I think someone I'm related to by marriage, let's just say it like that, to steal a cornizer line, told me after I went 10 years without a vacation, you need to take a vacation. So I think you, you're on longer than I have. You've been on uh, PTI around the horn longer than I have, which is, which is something to be said. So congrats on that. Yeah, I had to, you know, I had to critique the guest host. That was, in, that was interesting for me. Yeah, right? Pablo Torre, Kate Fagan. Yeah. You know, that was one of, the, one of the great things. You know, it's, it's, it's odd to have somebody sit in your chair, right? It's <laughs> odd to have somebody dance with your prom date a little bit. Uh. But... It leads to a – it's an enormous feeling of uh, – well, I guess it's pride, I guess is what you call it. You know, when you knock on that door like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's not there in, uh, in Goodwill Hunting, you know, you feel pretty good when somebody takes the reins and, and goes places with it. Uh, so uh, although I'm happy to sing the praises of, uh, of your show, any shows, shows produced by Eric Reinholm and great folks on his team like Matt Kelleher and Aaron Solomon, among others. I'm so I'm – so- glad to hear you say that because everybody who's who gets makeup done professionally has their face out there every day and we always hear about how great we are or or how on days when we're not great we also hear that (laughs) but it's not only impossible it is so necessary for us to have Aaron Solomon, Josh Bard, Matt Keller, Eric Rydell and there's so many others and you're not going to just mention everybody's names but I mean (laughs) Yes, of course. That is the show. That is around the horn. PTI, just as much as Woody Page and the mute button and the chalkboard. So thank you for saying that. Oh, no. Well, thank you. Thank you guys all for doing it. But uh, my love of those shows wasn't actually what inspired me to reach out to you for this podcast, Tony. It was uh, your Twitter thread inspired, I believe, by uh, Phil Mickelson. I still can't say his name for some reason. Dropping some weight heading into the open uh, by meal skipping and intermittent fasting. And uh, where for yourself, you openly questioned the approach on Twitter and uh, someone had responded to you with uh, basically something like, uh, well, I got worked up over 18 meals out of the 1000 you'll consume in a year. And uh, and your response to that was is just really kind of floored me because you just put it all out there. I'd like to read some mm-hmm. of that if that's okay with you. Oh sure, please, because I cannot. <laughs> uh, some people have the ability. Wilbon can quote every single column he's ever written. <laughs> I I don't have the ability. It's in my it's in my on my lips and then it's gone forever. Sometimes, so please. Uh, okay, so uh, in response to the you know why make such a big fuss? It's only eighteen meals out of a thousand. Uh, you said that the uh, the problem for me was is in how the motives for food intake were masking other issues and that you wouldn't presuppose that you knew uh, Phil's motives other than uh, the implication that he hadn't been performing well lately uh, or anyone else who fasted intermittently 
But uh, for you, and maybe for someone else with anxiety or body image or control or family obesity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, issues, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. what the problem could be more pointed than the blimp's eye, what the problem could be is more pointed than the blimp's eye view of just 18 meals over the year. And then you gave a, a good example. Uh, yesterday, you said, yesterday, I don't eat to punish myself, but it makes me tired and ornery with my kids. I'm not happy with the way I parent them or my or help my wife out parenting them, yada, 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 oh, home yeah. problem. And you went on to say, I'm using that as a top of the head example because it's relatable. Tack on any patient's personal bouillabaisse of anxiety, body dysmorphia, OCD, oh, or just plain stress management, read life management. And problems can possibly grow. In fact, so many problems in life arise from when you can't control things, right? In, in that way, I think of one of the only things in life you have pseudo control over, what you eat and what you put in your body. What you put body. in your body. Exactly. Yes, I remember that part. Absolutely. Yes, yes. So, uh, and, and you, you concluded that by saying, uh, it's about, for me, missing two meals, five meals, only 18 meals is the mask. Again, for me, that that stuff hides behind. And uh, that was very powerful to me to see someone just out there in the open talking about food and weight management anxiety. We talk about anxiety and mental health a lot, but we don't typically, in, even in the sports media, you know, we kind of pay at lip service. We don't actually usually get in down into the details. And um, I, I wanted to have the chat with you because you're so open about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding me what I exactly said. I, I don't know, uh, bouillabaisse. I don't know what I was thinking when I when I put that in a, in a tweet. The, you know, th th this is hitting and it hit on a couple different things for me. Um, well, first off, I always say mental health is just health. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to call it mental health for the for the purposes of uh, the greater conversation because I believe there's such stigma uh, attached to mental health. And that stigma quite often goes both ways. It's what other people ap apply to their idea of, oh, oh somebody's loony, somebody's, the, the idea that somebody needs help, oh, they're, they're weak. But also the stigma is self-inflicted quite often. Um, and, and maybe that's true even um, with, with people in our audience right now. Um, I can't seek help here because that would mean I'm weak and that what would that mean what, how would I explain that to people um, but there was something uh, I think we touched upon I touched upon in, in that that initial tweet thread which was to a doctor I wanted to have this conversation publicly this is actually the purpose of the exercise right right for me being a professional communicator these are the conversations that I want out there I know I'm the host of a daily sports TV game show meta referentially uh, scoring games uh, while scoring a game show. But um, I just want to have real conversations. I mean, if I had a job, it's to make the guys forget they're on TV quite often. Right. If I want to make television like the TV I like to watch, it's, it's one of the words that was in that thread. It's relatability. I want to make it relatable and unpredictable. Those are my – if we want to talk TV theory here, Robert, and I know you're for, for this just as much as I am um, – you know, tell me a story, the four words that everything's based on, all forms of communication going back to the cave. Yep. Tell me a story, okay? But also, make it relatable and unpredictable. That is the kind of secret sauce that you can find a thread. This, this is my TV theory here. Maybe, maybe it's, it's more of a hypothesis because I never, never checked it out scientifically. But if I'm thinking back on my times on PTI from when I was 22 and first hired to be on the show uh, as a researcher, 
um, you know, relatability. That, that's, that's a married couple. That's Kornheiser and Wilbon. That, those are brothers. Those are yep. best friends going back 30 years. First time I was ever in the room with them, they picked up on a fight they were having from 1984 about <laughs> Dominique Wilkins versus Dennis Johnson. One million percent true story, okay? They were, they were, they, it was like they picked it up in 2001 from where they were in 1984. So that's a relatability. We all have a best friend. We all have a sibling, uh, same is true of around the horn, highly questionable. I think that one's a parent, you know, a father-son yeah. re- relationship, a dynamic. But the relatability was what I was talking about. Here's, here's where I was with the Phil Mickelson story, to bring it back to that, because this is important. I'm writing my script for the show. This story fell in my lap. I wasn't really tracing it. It wasn't really, you know, um, chasing it too hard during the weekend. And then I see Phil Mickelson is talking about – now. To be completely true, this is a fast. This is not intermittent fasting. This is a fast. Straight fast. He went on. It was almost a week, um, and he lost weight. And what I was gleaning from it was he needed a hard reset in his life, which I think is something we are more aware of now. All of us sometimes, you know, feel like, okay, things aren't going my way. I need to reset. And that's that's a good feeling, I think. A, yep. a, a good um, a, a molecular level, a good idea. Yep. What I heard was he missed the cut in his last four appearances, or three of the last four, and, and one of those finished, you know, so far behind the leaderboard that it was, it was a missed cut as well. And what I, what I heard was something that I related to. Something's not going right for me. I'm, I'm off, off kilter a little bit. Yep. I'm failing right now in some of these things I, I want to be succeeding in. I need to reset myself, but I need to punish myself. I'm not going to eat for the next week. And he lost 15 pounds, and he, maybe he felt better in, in an immediate sense. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've eliminated some of the fat of my life, let's say, <laughs> even in the fat of his, of his body. But these are things that I related to. These, 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 were, these were emotional thoughts that I have on the regular, daily, as a person who is maybe we would describe me as somebody who's high energy. I'm always high energy, <laughs> yes, you but are high, high strong in the past, you know? Yep. But what I have come to realize is my natural levels of anxiety. These are things that I have learned about myself as I've gotten older. I was making every day the most highly energetic, blissfully happy day that anyone could have. Because Robert, why wouldn't I be blissfully happy? I had a, I have a dream job. I have a dream family. I have so much going for me in my life, people who love me in my life, people who I love. Why would I even allow myself a bad day? I would not allow myself a bad day. I've, I've always described it as, and, and you wouldn't know this on TV, my job, I thought, was to be a duck, to be happy and to be energetic and to be I'm trying to put on a, on a show for people to relax and enjoy. Be the be the duck chilling on top of the water, whereas under the water I was paddling um, maniacally, right. <laughs> like so, a maniac. Um, what's the to toll on you Not, of that? It puts a toll on you, of course. And really, what it comes down to is bottling up uh, the feelings that were ne- the, any feeling that wasn't. This is the greatest day you're ever having, reality. I, I would, you know, put to the side and 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 not really deal with. One of the ways I had found myself doing this was with food. And voila, it was right in my face with this Phil Mickelson story. Now, I've done a lot of work on myself, talk therapy, um, 
acupuncture, uh, Pilates, uh, massage, cupping, the <laughs> Alexander technique. This, I'm somebody who likes to do research. I'm a student right. in a lot of ways. I want to know why my body works the way it does. Right. Some people are not comfortable asking those questions. And, and, and one of the tricky things about it is these questions lead to uncomfortableness, you yep. know, in yourself. It's a discomfort to, to ask questions you don't know the answers about or that you suspect are coming from a place that aren't great, you know. Why am I a exercise addict? Why am I um, so suddenly changing my food habits and these were things I was doing um, in my life that I that I kind of um, they coincided with with a real life experience which was my first real panic attacks and then panic attacks related to the birth of birth of my first child um, so um, it's technically whether it falls into postpartum anxiety or not I never really got a true answer my therapist told me yes it does because it is related to the birth, but it, but it came back to being in control or not in control, things you don't have control over in your right. life. And food is one of the things that, well, you have control over what you put in your body. Now, I happen to look like a very slender man. Yeah. I happen to be somebody who likes to exercise. The exercises I like to doing were, were, were punishing exercises, very much uh, uh, push and lifting exercises and explosion exercises. I've come to realize that that is one side of exercise. You have to also um, do the the opposite, uh, the, the the pulling exercises, the stretching exercises. At least that's what I have come to to feel as a balance in my body. But I was out of balance in a lot of ways. I was pushing too hard, uh, perhaps career-wise, perhaps um, just in how I viewed myself. I was viewing myself. And I, I say it like this. It's, 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 it's a grammatical way. I was viewing myself. I was the object in someone else's sentence instead of being the subject in my own. Right. And part of that is, I think, professional because I work in a profession where I put myself out there to an audience. And the audience and my job is to be seen by an audience. And I am somebody who is, for the most part, comfortable in their own skin. I am somebody who's got a certain level of, of confidence, and I like people. I like performing. As Kornheiser, the first thing he'll say about me, I am a ham sandwich, you know? I mean, so um, that is okay on the surface. But once you, once you give away a lot of that power and how you view people and how people view you, um, you know, you lose control of, your, of, of certain parts of yourself. So that, that was yet another thing that was happening to me. And growing up in a full experience where my family, uh, being Italian, I ate pasta every day of my life. Right. And it is awesome. It's delicious. <laughs> it's the best. Abodanza, we say. Abundance, you know. Uh, you know, I came to realize I had eating habits that were, that were all over the place. I was, I was overeating in meals and then overexercising to compensate for that. And I was, I was, you know, balancing my equation in certain ways. But I was also seeing it and how it affected people I love in my life. I mean, my family is not trying to set a record for gastric bypass surgeries at this moment. But they're, they're certainly putting, putting that out there as an option that, that here's a magic bullet. This is how we're going to deal with it. And I don't think that is necessarily the only way to deal with this. So I was, um, even while I was going through therapy and talk therapy and other measures where I was coming to full view of myself and 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 
one of my goals is to be transparent about this because I, I feel like I'm a communicator, and that gets back to the relatability. I think a, a, a person watching my show, watching our show, um, they, they, can, they can take that take that information and apply it to themselves and now we've got something that's even more powerful than than any show can have any sports show can have so if so, i if i can just if i can just interject for a second i mean that absolutely happened with me i I've t- i told you offline i have had uh, some struggles uh, with uh, plenty of struggles with uh, food weight management anxiety and all that stuff in my life and the thought that you a very slender and very fit person uh, struggle with the same kind of stuff. It would just, it was honestly was eye opening for me. Like I just never would have yeah. in a million years guessed that. Wow. Tony, Tony Reale struggles with this stuff. Yes. And, and that's the point that this mental health check is just health check. And, and that this can apply to any of us in any number of ways. And it can, it's severity can come and go, but it, it for me, if I was going to take, and I say it again, a blimp's eye view of this whole conversation, this is about how people are dealing with the pressures of life, the anxieties of life, the, the conversations you don't want to have of life. Right. And that's around all of us. It's around all of us for absolutely every reason you could imagine. It's around me because, like I said, my family at the moment was going through. At that moment, Robert, I had just gotten back from a family reunion, and I was punishing myself, or I was punishing myself and my family for the way I saw us eating. Now, I wasn't eating, and they were eating, and the way they were eating um, did not make me feel well. I felt sad. And that day, I'm on my computer writing about Phil Mickelson, and it struck me. What am I doing right now? I'm having an intermittent fast right now. I wouldn't have called it an intermittent fast. I would have called it, oof, I just saw everything my family consumed, and now I'm not going to eat today until, you know, tomorrow. So, so, so I, I just want to clarify. So that was your reaction not to what you personally had eaten. So it wasn't – you weren't doing it because you, you had eaten more than you normally would have. Uh, you were doing it because of what you saw going on around you? Yeah, precisely, wow. precisely. I was trying to balance out the scale – well, right in my face. You know, I mean, it's, these are the people I love in my life. Right. And, and, and I, I see how this is a joyous occasion. You know, it was a birthday. It was an anniversary. It was another birthday. Right. And, you know, you, you can, of course, celebrate those things. But it was just too much in my face that we, we, were, we were just getting over very serious medical issues in our family. And, and still the habits were impossible to change. And, and I'm reading about Phil Mickelson doing something to punish himself, and the light bulb went off. I am punishing myself right now, not even for some. I mean, it's for something I'm doing. I'm trying to control what I put in my body because other people in my life I, I feel are not controlling themselves in the way that I am prescribing for them. I, that, this right. might not be right, you know, yep. but this is what I'm doing. So this is why I wanted to have this conversation, even though it wasn't directly – I don't know if it directly relates to Phil Mickelson, but it was an opportunity for me to, to – to, I mean this is, this is part of, of how I'm still hosting Around the Horn 16, 17 years later, you know, because I'm now viewing the show from a different place. I, I, that's just natural evolution. I, I've wanted the show to evolve. I want everything in my life to evolve as I get older. People yeah. tell me 
Well, the show's different. It's, it's, yeah, yes, I mean, everything should be different. It's 18 years later. It's 16 years later. For me, having a natural conversation, making those guys forget they're on TV, getting to a point that maybe a viewer at home can find this. You've heard me talk about the word encourage a sure. lot on television recently. Um, I've talked about it at ESPN town halls. For me, it's a thread that goes through my life. And if I can just for a moment apply this even bigger – you know, my, 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 my whole mental health um, focus has, has come from the postpartum anxiety that I experienced with the birth of my daughter right. and then the very true trauma and tragedy we experienced last year when we lost Amadeo um, and delivered Enzo um, very suddenly last summer when we were expecting twins and we had Enzo healthy and Amadeo um, deceased. Um, I, can't, I, wanted I can't imagine what to that's process like. that. Right. Uh, yes. And thank you for saying that. It's something that we shouldn't want to imagine or, or have a plan for when it happens. What I had was a toolbox and muscles that I had built up through years of talk therapy and years of just thinking about what my anxiety was doing in my life. Well, I, I had developed some of the ability to handle what that was, the full experience of it when it was happening. And it just happened to me that I that I w needed to be in the position to project it out, um, and it happened on the TV show, on a sports TV show. Right. I mean, it's an amazing thing that that an audience would be accepting of that. I didn't do it with the purpose of 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 anything other than I needed to impart this out because I had experienced something in in the two weeks, three weeks in the NIC unit, you know, in the intensive care unit with with Enzo, being around other people, and it became apparent to me that being encouraged by other people was the only way I got through that. Doing the, the work I had done um, in the previous four years was the only way I was going to get through that. What, what I got from other people, encouraging other people, uh, people encouraging me, was something I was going to need to do in the future, encouraging other people to ask questions of themselves, of things that they were doing, their motives. What are our motives? Why are we doing this? And that was precisely what got me to the long story, the conversation I wanted to have about uh, food and, and the conversation that, that Phil Mickelson brought into the sports place but was very much a conversation I was having in my own head that week and it became a conversation I wanted to have on Twitter. And people like yourself reaching out to me or people like that physician who reached out to me. Yep. I mean, that is a physician who is very much um, finding out intermittent fasting has many benefits for people. Yep. And, of course, I've done the research since then. And, and, and he is very much um, thrilled about the results some of his patients who are diabetics are having, getting their sugars back in, um, in, in focus and back in balance after 18 hours of intermittent fasting. That could be very good, much like many things we can do to our bodies. There also could be personalities, I would like to say. Um, and maybe they are anxious personalities. Maybe they are obsessive-compulsive personalities. Maybe they are just personalities that are currently allowing other people to view them and taking too much stock in that when you it's a body image situation that's related to I want people to see me as the calm cool casual fun happy host of around the horn so well now I, I, I strive for the real person the real host who is full in his feelings some people would say you know there, there's a word that we use selfish you know when you're thinking about yourself too much yep. 
and I think that's a negative uh, view to you know pejorative way to view it. It's self-full when you are looking at your full self and questioning your motives and confronting why. Ask yourself, why am I doing this? So my answer to why am I intermittently fasting today was not to get my blood sugars under control, was not even for me to squeeze into you know the, the pants I wore 10 years ago, which is just an example that other people might have. Right. It was because I was unhappy and sad that my family has food issues and those motives wow. were not good. Yeah. So I, you know, I personally, I use internet intermittent fasting as a, as a kind of a tool in the toolbox. And, uh, I didn't, I, I lost a bunch of weight a few years ago and, and I've kept it off. And I, I can imagine many ways that I could have lost the weight without intermittent fasting, but I have to be honest, like it, it, I do wonder sometimes, like, would I be able to manage my weight without having that tool in the toolbox so easily? Mm -hmm, that's great. And, and, uh, you know, but I have to say in my case, I don't look at it like punishment. I just kind of look at, look at it like, uh, you know, flossing, uh, you know, sometimes you got to do stuff you don't, maybe great. don't really want to do. Um, but, you know, I, you're, you're raising the point made me start to think about, well, you know, is, is that, and I mean, so I really, I thought about it long and hard before I concluded, you know, no, I think for me, it's definitely not a punishment, uh, but I can certainly see how it would be for other people. And, and I, I just found, I loved a lot of the things you said to me over direct message though, Robert, you were quoting my Twitter thread before I can now, uh, <laughs> you, you can paraphrase me. I, I'll paraphrase you, but you were talking about habituate was one of the words you were saying to developing a habit to eat less. And if it's come, if your motives are I am overeating and I am not in balance with my overeating, um, I mean, that is a great place to start. We're all going to have different body types. We're all going to have. But but if it's coming from a place where you feel like you are. Um, overindulging and, and you're not in balance, well, well, that's great. But developing, you know, a good way and, and management mechanisms, that's what you were talking about, management yeah. mechanisms. Well, good that's, habits. That's clearly, that's clearly what, it, what building a habit is, but that's clearly asking yourself questions and confronting things. That, a management mechanism, when, when you say it like that to me, it makes a lot more sense. I just feel like we as people need to ask ourselves more questions we need to confront why we do things why we feel things on the regular yep. this can apply to all parts of your life honestly yep. um, how you feel about things that are happening in the news how you feel about relationships with people in your life people that you love that you want to remain in your life but the relationships need to evolve this is the basis of evolution so some of the things you were saying to me made so much sense i could i could physically see in my my mind's eye how you were approaching it somebody who felt like in order to be my best self in order to be my healthy self in order to be there for people in my life long term i need to change my body. I need to change my, my eating habits. And I think that's, of course, wonderful. I think you put in the research. I was just fearful some people uh, can gravitate toward any number of fad diets. And I do this myself because it's a way to try to control things. It's a, you're trying to control something you can't control per se, you know, but you can control how you respond. You can control how you put what you put in your body. But sometimes in, in the pursuit of control, you're doing things that are just 
in front of you right now without having asked the right questions. Does that yeah, make sense? It does make sense. And I'll tell you, so I find it frustrating to even talk about any of this stuff usually because, um, you know, to me, it really boils down to something that's kind of pretty boring and basic, which is habits. And um, habits yeah. aren't really interesting to people. They're not nearly as, in, you know, forming people, people talk about lifestyle change. And I think, well, why do they talk about that? It's because it sounds so much more interesting, you know, than, than habits. And, uh, mm -hmm. but there is no lifestyle change without changing your habits. And so the, you know, I, I just find that the whole arena of uh, how any of that stuff gets presented, uh, it's frustrating for me to talk about. And again, that's like why it's just so great to see, you know, someone like you just putting out there everything you're thinking about and, and being very, very transparent about it. I, I, I was blown away by it. I, I'm, and yeah, I'd well, say, thank you for saying that. That's not for everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who is comfortable in that space communicating. But what I did find out, I, mean, I'm not, I don't want to subscribe for everybody to, uh, to uh, well, let me just start telling people in the street, this is the body <laughs> image I have going on with me at this moment. <laughs> But but to drill down on it, for, for me, the benefit was by sharing stories like the loss of a child, like the anxiety I was feeling while raising a, a, a infant child, um, like, like some of the, the anxieties I momentarily feel having to do with food and body. You get that back from other people, and you get encouragement from that. Encouragement to me is, again, it's a virtue. It's the most important thing that has been a thread in my life to get me through my toughest times and to get me through my best times. It's always coming back to other people, other people. There's an hour in the word encourage. There's also a courage in the word encourage. I say this, I say this over and over again. Stop me if you're tired of hearing it, Robert, because I've said this on around the horn any number of times, but, but it, it's that basic for me. We're going to need other people to get through this world. You're going to need other people. And other people are going to need you to get through this world. That's what encouragement is. I, 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 I definitely don't want to mute you on that. So uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you want to say. So I, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, so, I, you know, I, I think about weight and weight management and body image, but I, I think about all those things as someone who is, you know, not an on-television personality. Right, uh, and I'm just right. wondering, like, what is the what is the extra toll of being someone on TV and having to kind of kind of contend with all that, grapple with all that? If I had to be brutally honest, I, I don't think of it as far as, as as the profession that much. I mean, the profession, I think, was 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 creating overall thoughts in my life. I mean, I. I wear what I want to wear on TV. Some people don't like it. I cut my hair a certain way. Some people don't like it. That, that does not register with me in the least. That's great. You know, I, I'm now 41 years old. I'm losing a little corner on my hairline. That registers with me, registers with me a little bit in, in, in my own personal life. I cut my hair a certain way because of that maybe. But not what are people going to think of me as I'm getting older. I, I have no problem with the aging process. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe I did uh, initially the first time you see hair hair falling out, or it looks like you know you're you're bathing a sharpay when when you're <laughs> shampooing your hair. You know, the first time when I had shaggier hair, um, gaining weight. I've never really gained weight, so I don't know exact. Or, or you know, I had people take it the opposite way. I mean, Kornizer was was very very much always talking about. Look at you, you're two percent body fat. Um, 
I was having eating issues that were actually biological at that point. Now, you know, I was my stomach wasn't right. I, I I had a disease when I was a boy called Lyme disease, and I went on heavy duty antibiotic when I was in my teenage years. And I think it took a long time for the. I'm also a big believer in the biome, the microbiome of my gut. My gut health was not right, right. in my mid 20s into my 30s, and that was a that came that wrapped up with a lot of the food issues I had. And sure. I think that could be true of a lot of people. I am not a doctor. I am not a therapist. I know nothing about this. I'm somebody who's asked questions, and the answers I arrived on for myself are that your gut is a second brain, that your gut. You hear about serotonin when people are, are potentially um, um, uh, in, in imbalance in their moods and, and the Prozac generation, what people call it. it it's serotonin is, is what they prescribe. Ninety percent of the serotonin in your body, people who know these things, scientists, think is in your gut. Your body is made up of so much bacteria. You're yep. more bacteria yep. than anything else. Yep. The bacteria in my body was disrupted by the heavy-duty antibiotics I was on when I was a boy. The, body, the bacteria in many people's bodies gets, heavy, gets disrupted in any number of ways by any number of things. Uh, some of the stuff you put in coffee, it's, I don't know, it's anything that's in those, those pink little papers, NutraSweet or, or whatever, or any of those, those pink, fake sugars Pink, blue, are. and yellow, yeah. Yeah, all those things can have an enormous effect on the bacteria of your body. Um, it, or just could be, you know, you got food poisoning once from something, a shellfish, you know, and it totally disrupts. It could just be that. But once that gets disrupted, it comes back and it's built in a different way. It's a fingerprint for everybody. I believe mine was misshapen and, and not operating well for many, many years until I got a hang of the uh, bacteria in my body, the prebiotics and the probiotics I was putting in my body. So I was having issues with that. I was certainly not under-eating for the sake of under-eating, but my body was not processing food well. Maybe that was – certainly that was affecting my mood all those sure. years. But I put on weight purposely for the, for the sake of being healthier recently, and I do feel healthier. But it's because my body is handling food better. But I don't I, – to me, it's not that. That is certainly true for other people. The camera adds weight. You're – constantly looking at yourself. Nobody's ever going to like the way they look. Nobody's ever going to like the way they sound when they yep. see themselves on camera. Um, I look at myself and I look at my posture more often than that. And then I'm like, oh, I'm looking you know, old. I'm looking achy. And I've done things to kind of try to revisit what my posture is. Um, but that's rebuilding habits. And that's just another, yet another way to, to describe the same things that we're talking about. You, you, could, you can say food is a big issue, and it's a big issue for a lot of people. But I was applying it to, to how I looked posturally even. I wanted to show a, an authoritative command. I wanted to show a relaxed command. You know, And I wanted to do that in a way that my body wasn't doing it because I was – I, my, my own personal stresses was uh, maybe raising my shoulders and, and, and making me look like I was bracing for impact. Yeah, that's, that's the type of stuff I was looking back on camera saying, like, I don't like the way I look that way. It wasn't like, oh, look, look at this second chin I have when I'm in this pose. <laughs> but that could yeah. be true. That will totally <laughs> be true for all people. It's, <laughs> you know why? You know why this is relatable and applies? Uh, you say, um, you're not in my position uh, to be on TV. But you're on Instagram or Facebook. No, I'm right? not. You're no, I'm not. No, of yourself. no. Okay, nope. you're not. I'm but not. 150 million people. You're sure, are. sure. They're putting their faces and their 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 pictures of themselves out there for their high school sweethearts to see, 
and they're and they're uh, they're putting the image that they want out there, but they're not putting you know the one where they don't look so good. Right. My friend Kate Fagan wrote a book about a young woman, Maddie Holleran, who was dealing with this, and 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 of course in a very tragic way, this yeah. this story goes, where it's this new generation has only grown up with themselves on Instagram uh, a thousand times a day, putting out images where they're only seeing everybody else's super idealized view of themselves that's the equivalent of, of what people were when they were on tv in the night you know in yep. previous generations you know they're out there every day you only show your best image you only think people are always having their best day so take it back to the my initial thread here you know everybody can be a duck at any time feverishly paddling too hard in one part of their life while trying to show an image that's not that it's okay it's okay that that's the case, but just be aware of that. Yeah. that. Am I authentic here? Am I being genuine to my true feelings, or am I putting on a facade for somebody? You know, a facade. That, that's a. Yeah. You know, the root there might be fake. I mean, you're putting out something that is not truly genuine. So for me, the closer I get to the genuine and the authentic, you know, makes me feel more in balance. That's why it's not for everybody to say on the national sports TV show, you know, I'm going through something right now. I, we just lost a child. I'm going through something right now. I'm not eating. Yeah, why yeah. am I not eating? Yes, mm-hmm. I look a certain way to you, but I'm not in balance right now because I, you know, am, am saddened or, or by something or distressed by something. So you, you're you're a rare bird, I think, just to, just in in the sort of the the desire uh, to to be open. To be so open, I guess I'm not saying other people aren't aren't open and transparent, but uh, but you're next yeah. level. So I, I, you know, I'm gifted with a uh, a cast iron stomach as far as the uh, the pro and pre- you, prebiotics Robert. go. Good for you. But yeah. uh, but I do think about my posture quite a bit, and uh, and mm-hmm. probably still not <laughs> enough. And uh, mm-hmm. when I was losing weight, like it, towards the end. I really slowed down my weight loss to like less. I wanted it to to lose like less than a pound a week because uh, I was like very worried that uh, that the skin on my neck would would be on my collarbone uh, at the end. So so despite not you know posting on Instagram, you know you go out in public and people see you and uh, and you know I I I've got a little bit of vanity I guess. So I do I did care about that. We all do. We all should. I mean, I think those pounds, you, 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 really, you were aware of what a pound was a week. You were aware of, of, of certain things. That's not dissimilar to the likes or, the, or the, the, the Facebook likes or retweets or Instagram likes that people are, are getting. It's yet another way to measure this is it's success true. in this yep. way. And, and that's a measurement that, again, you're an object at that point, right? The object of someone else's likes, the object of your, of your scale, you know, some, and – Again, it's it's that's an okay thing. Just be aware of what that is, and uh, are your motives then yep. to to make the scale happy, to make somebody else happy, or your motives then, um, uh, you know, not entirely authentic. So my my motives were just to feel better. That was really my my overriding motivation, yeah, and, and, should, and I do be, I do feel one. better. I definitely do feel better. Yeah. So here's the question. So what's your your personal thinking on, uh, you know, eating and weight management and doing it in ways where you're not punishing yourself or you don't feel like you're punishing yourself. Yeah. This is, this is still the ongoing battle for me. Um, um, 
controlling how I respond to the distresses and, and sadness in my life clearly ha- has made its way to the plate for me, especially recently. Um, well, I, I, I live I, in El Paso, so I'm doing a lot of comfort eating this week for sure. Okay. I mean, and that's, that's yet another good point. You know, there's for for all of us. There's always going to be something in our lives, maybe multiple things at once, that we don't have control over, and that are just plain difficult, challenging, yeah. sad. Yeah. I'm always going to see um, twins in in the real world. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be a twin stroller. Um, you're always you're in El Paso. You're always going to drive by the Walmart. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, Walmart. You're always going to. That's that's going to be. The the point for me is to not ignore that, to not forget that. The point for me is to view that I personally have to speak it out loud. I think that's that's the that's one of the, one of the things that that I'm doing on the TV show, but I'm doing personally is, is to to say that stuff out loud, um, to be aware and to let it to be the full experience of myself. Once again, it's it's a self full. Uh, decision for me to talk about that out loud to right. to allow for myself to even express it to other people. Um, that is the next level of what I do when I express it to other people. For me, it breathes it into existence and it allows it to have a space that is not just hiding in the shadows where it can where 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 masks can happen, where mushrooming and metastasizing can happen. Uh, it's, it's one of the things I talk about often is that when you don't give voice to feelings, you allow them to grow and mushroom into something else quite often. So recognizing uh, for me what the triggers are, are quite often a number one thing. Um, but then also giving voice to feelings is the secondary thing that I do when I feel like I need to recognize am I imbalance or am I not. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when when I finally got around to saying, okay, this is something that I want to address, uh, a a lot of stuff went into that, including the world and and people around me. Um, But, you know, before that, like I wasn't really in a place where I I wanted to think in depth about a lot of my own behaviors. And I think bringing people bringing people, you know, to an arena where maybe even, you know, if you if it's only a few people that you've encouraged to, to, to think, hey, you know what? Maybe like for my health, I actually need to think about it that way. If if you only hit a few people, you know, it's still all net for the good. Yeah, I mean, uh, one final thing is it's important because sometimes when feelings are swallowed, again, they become mangled and misshapen. So that's that's the point. The key is how you respond, and not and not hiding things on the inside. I, I think that's uh, one more thing. Actually, now now that I that I said that. You have to know what is real and what is what is imagined or created in your own, you know, mind's eye. Quite often, I mean, I think we're all ca- capable of connecting a dot every now and then that's not actually true, and then oh, yeah. then allowing that to be the true story. This the bad bad actually, pattern recognition, right? Or this is the plot line of Jurassic Park, right? I mean, they had all dinosaur DNA except one little strand, and they used. Yep fraud DNA and next thing you know the dinosaurs are, are, are procreating and building and, and uh, clever girl you know what I mean so 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 we've got we've got that in all of us 
You know, we, we, we apply our thinking to – we do this in our relationships. What is that person thinking right now? Well, let me apply what, how I see the world to what they're doing, and then now I know what they, why they did this. This is why they did this. No, no, you just applied how you see the world. Yep. You have to be able to, to, to be true to yourself when you have uh, added a little frog DNA to the equation. All right. Well, I want to get you out of here with uh, with with something something a little bit a little bit more upbeat. So so good. Me- let's not end on frog DNA, please. Because again, <laughs> yeah, frog I am not, DNA. I'm not a biologist of any, uh, yeah. any regard. Fro- frog DNA and uh, and chaos theory they are not the uh, expertise <laughs> of this podcast. So uh, give me give me a couple of couple of great around the horn or pardon the interruption stories that'll make people laugh. Oh, okay. One of my favorite PTI stories. Love Mike Wilbon. Love Tony Kornheiser. Owe them everything. Wilbon's covering the uh, Utah Olympics. So it was, it was, uh, Park City Olympic Games. Uh, so this is going back quite some time. Yeah. And we're doing a live shoot with Wilbon or pseudo live. We're taping it at 30 minutes before showtime. And he's outside. And it's a little bit colder at the Winter Olympics than he thought. <laughs> Nobody was thinking, Chicago boy. Um, so he needed to pick up a jacket. So he bought a red, white, and blue jacket. Mike Wilbon, red, white, and blue jacket. Of course he did. This is great. So Wilbon's on the air. We, uh, we never really got it. It was Russia, Team Russia jacket. It's one of the jackets he was wearing. So, that, so there was that, that story. Um, uh, that's, that's one of the things I love about Wilbon. He, he, would, he would pull that off, you know, uh, much like uh, many of his wardrobe choices. The man has uh, air, airplane shoes, you know, his airplane uh, outfit, you know, the, the outfits he only wears on the airplane. If he was ever running late to a hit, and we had to get him straight from the airport. Well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to wear this today. And he's wearing his zip up, and you know he's wearing his airplane shoes underneath it, his uh, <laughs> his laceless shoes. Oh, it's so great. Um, Woody Page. Woody Page has uh, every single record in the record books for around the horn, uh, especially uh, anything related to longevity. Yeah. But we almost lost Woody on the set once, so his longevity was very much in question. He was planning his 100th uh, career victory in around the horn with confetti falling from the ceiling. But we, you know, uh, the budget we had at that point didn't allow for <laughs> professional confetti droppers. So Jason, his production assistant of many, many trades, uh, writing the blackboards uh, in that fine penmanship and among other things, microphone and, and earpiece and heavy-duty technical. I, I'm blown away also, that's not all digital, by the way. This is a few years back. It was just a box of confetti that was tipped over on Woody Page. It came out at about whatever, you know, the, the uh, meters per second uh, <laughs> gravity demands, all in one clump, straight down Woody's m- gullet, mullet, maw, whatever the word is, uh, um, and nearly choked him to death. So we almost lost Woody at the table at 100, 100 career wins. Is, is that, is that on video out there? That's on video, and then that. what happened was Woody being Woody, um, in his next uh, milestone, either 200 or 300, he tried to recreate it and then uh, tried to act like he was choking and, and scared us again. So we have both of those on video. There's the first one where we almost lost Woody, number 100, and I think it's 300 where he gives us an overacting, <laughs> you know, where he's choking. So that, that's happened before. I once muted Michael Smith on camera. Uh, with a side mute. Sometimes I go with the -the over-the-top mute. This was more of my sidewinder mute. And it came down on the mute button, which is, it's a tactile mute mute button. It's up 
it's upraised a little bit. Came down on the on the on the finger, and I thought I broke my pinky <laughs> in real time, and it felt really bad for about you know two days. I didn't Keep break it. Keep the mute hand but strong. I, in the moment, yeah, in the moment I thought I broke. So we have this, and um, we have. I was not on camera at the time, but it was rolling, but it wasn't live camera. So they had edited up a piece of. This is what happened while the camera was rolling off off our camera, uh, our live shoot, and it's me, whole, ow, ow, and anybody <laughs> looking around, did anybody see that, ow, so that's probably available somewhere on the internet as well, um, yet another moment, you know, one of these, uh, what do they call that, workplace-related injuries, yeah, yeah, I, had, I have a clause in my contract now, you know, the mute button, uh, should it injure reality that we are not responsible for that. Hey, hey Tony, do, do you have a second to, uh, to talk about, um, uh, Around the Horn has really done sort of just such great work of introducing new sports media talent into the fold. I mean, it's the place where. Thank you for saying that. That's really what I'm, I'm most, uh, you know, I'm, I'm most proud of on the show. All right. I'll, I, you know what? I won't mute you. You, you, you run with it. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things I found that I love about um, Twitter and and this industry is scouting. I like scouting new people. I like new voices. It became clear to me after the first five or seven years on the show, when I, it took me that long to get my surroundings, yeah, to learn how to use the mute and how to make sense <laughs> of this very nebulous scoring Score, system. Nebulous is generous. <laughs> well, it's like hugging smoke, right? You never know <laughs> if you really got it. And the idea of um, uh, listening to the panelists' answer, scoring those answers, while also potentially listening to a director and a producer at the same time. It took me years because uh, I was I was trained in the stat boy game, right. but I was I was uh, not not so much uh, let's say um, Scott Van Pelt uh, right, <laughs> or right. some of the greats yep. that I've seen with an earpiece before. Uh, it took me years to kind of be able to to work on that level, four different conversations at once. But once I felt comfortable in my own skin on the TV show and come comfortable hosting the TV show. I recognize this is a show, while it's, of course, about muting voices, the show is about amplifying voices. Right. And if I can apply that even more, um, you know, more definitively, bringing voices out and bringing different perspectives onto the TV show. You know, people bristle when you say perspectives, bristle when you say diversity, it's about representation. We're trying the, – the initial idea of the show, Robert, was four sports writers from four different time zones. Yep. We used to have the map of the country yep, I remember. with the time zones. So it was about representation. We're going to provide the voice of the West, the voice of the mountain, the voice – so that was always – you know, in the DNA of the show, I just wanted to take a different view of what that was, different voices. And how do I do that? Well, bringing on different voices. How do I find new voices? Well, I got to do a lot of reading. I got to do a lot of scouting. And one of the things that struck me initially was I was following this dude, Bomani Jones, on Twitter, or yeah. maybe I was seeing him in my timeline. I'm like, what an intriguing voice this guy guy has so next thing i know i'm, I'm like trying to i'm like pirate radio i'm, I'm hearing <laughs> canadian radio i remember this canadian radio of a raleigh radio station <laughs> uh he was on the score but he was via yeah. raleigh i didn't really understand how i was getting it it was bomani jones and i was like this guy this is a voice i would love to have on around the horn 
And after that, and after a few weeks of me, you know, talking him up and, and talking to some people who knew him, I was able to get Bomani Jones, who, who at that moment was also then appearing on Outside the Lines. He made one important appearance where he made 17 different faces <laughs> while uh, being interviewed because uh, he wasn't, you know, jiving with the host or whatever. Right. Um, I was like, ooh, I want that face on yep, my yep, show, yep, too. Yep, yep. Um, Pablo Torre, yep. um, Mina Kimes. Yep. I mean, the, the examples now, every... every New person we put on for the last 10 years. Frank Isola. Love Frank Isola. Yep. Interviewed Frank Isola when I was on WFUV radio as a 19-year-old. This is Fordham Radio. Yep. He called. I got him to call into my, my, my call-in show along with uh, um, a couple of the people I was hosting with that time, Spiro Didis and, and Connell McShane, who have now gone on to, to yep. calling games and calling Fox Business. Um, had Frank Isola on then? I now work with the man three times a week. I needed somebody who looked like New York. Does Frank Isola <laughs> look and sound like New yes, York? Yes, he does. Just that jawline, yep, just yep, like yep. the way he asked for people to be fired at every drop of a hat. I mean, so it became something that was important to me, different representations of the sports writer, the sports reporter. Um, Ramona Shelburne, you yep. know, a beat reporter who was breaking news but always doing it. She, ha she and I share a smile while we talk, you know. Um, it, Clinton Yates. Yep. You know, I knew I, Clinton asked me to be on his college radio show when he was 21 and I was 23 or 24. I'd known him for a while. We've come full circle now, and now he's on – on around the horn and, and doing great work at the network. Sarah Spain. I, I, it took me, I think, five years to get Sarah Spain on the show. Not because she didn't want to be on the show. I mean, it took us years to get to a place where, where the, the business really caught up to her, not that she caught up to the business. Right. And that's, it's not to say that as a regret, but I say that there are voices out there that, that should be on, that we need to hear from. And I can't imagine a show that's better than putting those voices on and around the horn. And, again, the goal, yeah, Ben Affleck. I, I don't want to be Ben Affleck in many scenarios, but for Goodwill Hunting, I will. <laughs> um, I want to be Ben Affleck knocking on the door, and, and you tell me Mina Kimes is now uh, doing a Los, NFL Angeles Rime, yeah. Los Angeles Rams NFL games, preseason games. And that's an amazing thing. This is back to encouragement, Robert. I had her on the show. I'd heard about this late, and I was being my silly, stupid self, saying, this was a dream of mine. Tell me how it was a dream of yours. And she said, no, it wasn't. And it took me three full beats of a second to realize, of course not, you dope, reality. Yeah, why she would couldn't she think have that? this dream because this voice, her voice was never out. Someone like her was never in position to do that. There had never been a journalist really calling games uh, with, with – with, I mean, there had been, but not many. never been a female journalist. never had been a Korean-American uh, journalist. There never been a business writer doing that. How could she dream like that? And that is one of the things that, if you had to really ask me, that, that's at the DNA of Around the Horn, to be a place where we're going to, we're going to demonstrate the many voices that are out there and to have the full conversation. Because you can't have a full conversation without the full voices. Yeah, and you're, I mean, you're still, you're still bringing new talent in all the time. Uh, you know, I think uh, last week. Yeah, uh, we won't stop doing that. Diana, you know, I mean, Stugatz, Emily, you yeah. just keep, keep it going. Oh, Stugatz, man. I mean, that was another one. I wasn't sure. I, I didn't know if, if that was the type of voice, if he was playing, if, if, I, I, I call him John because it's like this what Muabon does yeah. with Magic Johnson. Yeah, but Muabon does that with Magic Johnson. You know, Irvin yeah, said to me. Jackie Mack does that. Irvin said to me. John said to me. You know, <laughs> I, I want 
characters on my show because it's a relatability thing. Woody Page is the crazy uncle. Kevin Blackstone is the professor yeah. you had in college. Bob Ryan uh, is another type of uncle. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, um, Stugatz, you know, I was wondering if it was a character or if it was a character. You know, and I want it, but I've caught, coming to know John and, and seeing how he thinks like a producer, because the man produces radio yep. for, for how many episodes, you know, that's a, that's a different type of character, the radio producer, the radio person. Uh, yes, yes, that's a character I want in my show. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a character I want in our show. Tony, thank you so much for the time. It's been a pleasure. Robert, thank you for the time. And, and thank you for the opportunity here to talk about life. Because again, I mean, there's so many conversations we have. Uh, about sports, how we're supposed to talk about sports. I mean, what sports for me is a lot of things. It's the final score of the game. It's your OPS. It's a uh, pitcher's FIP. But it's also about the, the 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 humans that are playing the sports and the very yep. human things they're doing at the time that they're they're competing in their sport. And that's what Phil Mickelson was uh, to start this relationship we have, this conversation we've had. That's how it started. But sports is about humanity. Let's never forget that. Absolutely. And uh, thank you. Uh, shout out to Phil Mickelson for, uh, for enabling this podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes.